Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Sarah Thompson, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. The use of guideline-directed medical therapy for heart failure during the transition of care remains unsatisfactory despite evidence for its effectiveness in the reduction of hospitalizations and mortality. The strong HF trial assesses the safety and efficacy of rapid guideline-directed medical therapy titration before and shortly after hospital discharge. Join pharmacist Krista Larson to review the management of heart failure treatment at Transitions of Care through discussion of literature, guidelines, and the strong HF trial. So the first 30 days post-heart failure hospitalization is an especially vulnerable time, which makes it the optimal time period to initiate guideline-directed medical therapy that can potentially reduce mortality and rehospitalizations. However, one analysis found that 42% of patients were not on any treatment for heart failure within 30 days post-discharge for their initial heart failure diagnosis. Thus, we have some room to improve how we manage heart failure treatment at Transitions of Care. So today we will review current guidelines and literature, including the STRONG HF trial, to determine if starting off strong with rapid initiation and up titration of guideline-directed medical therapy is the best way to optimize heart failure treatment at transitions of care. So our learning objectives for today will be to recall components of successful heart failure transitions of care programs, describe guideline recommendations for the management of pre and post hospitalization, guideline-directed medical therapy or GDMT, which includes our evidence-based beta blockers, renin-angiotensin system inhibitors with a preference for sacubitril valsartan, uh, sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors, and mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. And then finally, we will apply the results of the strong HF trial. So the transitions of care is the change in setting of care from one setting to another, typically from hospital to home. This is an especially crucial time in the management of heart failure, with one analysis finding that patients who have a rehospitalization within 30 days from their initial heart failure hospitalization have a higher mortality rate at six months. And one method to reduce avoidable hospital readmissions and improve patient satisfaction is through optimal transitions of care programs which is where we will start off today by looking at a systematic review of transitional care services. The systematic review included 53 different randomized control trials, looking at patients hospitalized with acute heart failure who received one month or more of follow-up. And the study had to review all-cause death and all-cause readmissions. And the programs included in this study were pharmacist intervention, telemonitoring, telephone support, nurse home visits where the nurse visited the patient's home for education and assessment, nurse case management, which included components of nurse home visits and telephone follow-up, and then disease management clinics, which were multidisciplinary clinics that managed heart failure. And this systematic review found that nurse home visits and disease management clinics reduced both all-cause death and all-cause readmissions, 
and then nurse case management reduced all-cause readmissions, whereas the other programs included did not find a significant difference in these outcomes. So overall, this study just goes to show that optimal transitions of care programs can improve our heart failure clinical outcomes. And then next, we will review the optimal timeline for heart failure follow-up, starting off by reviewing some observational trials. So first, we have a retrospective review of early physician follow-up within seven days post-heart failure hospitalization. Then this study included patients above the age of 65, utilizing Medicare claims data, as well as data from heart failure registries. And they found that hospitals that had a larger proportion of patients that received early follow-up had lower rates of 30-day readmission for any cause, but there was no significant difference in mortality. And then the next study reviewed is a case control study that looked at different factors that might be associated with reduced heart failure readmission in thir at 30 days. And they found that early follow-up, which could have included either telephone or in-clinic follow-up with their cardiologist or general medicine practitioner within seven days after discharge was associated with lower rates of readmission where lower later follow-up was not. So next we'll review some randomized controlled trials that are looking at optimal timeline for heart failure follow-up, looking at the ECAT-HF, PACT-HF, and COACH trials. So these were all randomized controlled trials looking at patients hospitalized for acute heart failure and they randomized patients to either the uh, high-intensity uh, intervention group or standard of care. However, the intervention between the studies did vary. So in the ECAT-HF trial, patients had consultation with a heart failure specialist and dietitian at day 7 and 14 after discharge. And this follow-up included any lab monitoring as well as optimization of treatment. And then in the PACT-HF trial, Patients in the intervention group received nurse-led self-care education, a structured hospital discharge summary, and follow-up with their family physician less than one week after discharge. And then the COACH trial had two different intervention groups. In the basic support group, patients received follow-up with their cardiologist as well as nurse follow-up. And then in the intensive support group, patients had, again, follow-up with their cardiologist, monthly nurse visits, as well as phone calls weekly in the first month, two nurse home visits, and an interdisciplinary visit. And all these studies had a primary outcome of composite all-cause death and rehospitalization, and then the PACT-HF trial also included ED visits. And overall, all of these studies did not find a significant difference between patients who received early intensive follow-up compared to their control group. However, some limitations of these trials, they only included, most of the patients included in these trials were above the age of 70 and had significant comorbidities that could have limited up titration of their heart failure treatment, as well as potentially the control group was already well managed, so that left little room for improvement with the intervention. So overall, it's showing a discrepancy between our observational trials that did find a benefit of early follow-up, whereas our randomized control trials did not. And now moving on to what our guidelines recommend for heart failure transitions of care programs. So both, both the American and European guidelines recommend referral to a multidisciplinary heart failure management program, as well as early follow-up within one to two weeks post-discharge. 
And then our American guidelines do recommend providing a patient-centered discharge instructions with a clear plan for transitional care. And I'll discuss what should be included in this care plan on the next slide. And then the European guidelines do recommend self-management strategies and either a home-based or clinic-based program. So moving on to this transitional care plan. So this should be communicated to patients and their outpatient provider prior to discharge. And it should address the precipitating cause of worsening heart failure, any adjustment of diuretics based on volume status and electrolytes, coordination of any safety lab checks, as well as further changes to optimize their GDMT. Also plan to reinforce any heart failure education, as well as adherence to medications, diet, and exercise. And then addressing any high-risk characteristics that might be associated with poor post-discharge outcomes, such as comorbidities, low health literacy, or cognitive impairment. And then finally, where appropriate, referral to surgical or device therapy, cardiac rehab, palliative care, or hospice. That brings us to our first assessment question. Uh, which of the following components of heart failure transitions of care programs has been shown to reduce mortality in the literature? A, telephone support. B, disease management clinics. C, nurse case management. Or D, early intensive follow-up. I'll give, I think we're moving towards the correct answer, but I would agree that uh, with the majority here that disease management clinics um, have shown benefit in that systematic review that we discussed by Vance Ball and colleagues. They found a benefit on both reducing mortality as well as rehospitalizations. Whereas telephone support and nurse case management did not find a benefit on mortality in that same systematic review but nurse case management did find a benefit on rehospitalizations. So that makes A and C incorrect. And then D, early intensive follow-up, did find some benefit on rehospitalizations in our retrospective studies, but did not find a benefit on mortality in those same retrospective studies or in our randomized controlled trials. Uh, but So that makes D incorrect, but early, early follow-up is still recommended by our guidelines. Now that we've discussed optimal transitions of care programs, we'll move on to discussing treatment at transitions of care. Um, so when thinking about how to best implement GDMT at transitions of care, several questions come to mind. And the first that we will address today is whether it is safe and effective to initiate GDMT while patients are hospitalized. And to assess this, we'll first look at several randomized controlled trials. These are limited by because prior to the strong HF trial that I'll discuss later, they just looked at adding one GDMT agent onto background therapy. But, and then the optimized HF trial is a prospective observational trial, um, and that's for our beta blockers, and we just don't have as much good evidence for beta blockers through randomized control trials. So all these studies did look at patients who are hospitalized with acute heart failure. And then in the impulse and consensus trials, patients were randomized to receive either GDMT or placebo. And the pioneer trial, patients were randomized to receive sacubitril valsartan or enalapril. And then in the Athena trial, patients were randomized to receive high-dose spironolactone or usual care, which could have included either placebo or low-dose spironolactone. And then the optimized HF trial utilized outcome data and analyzed it according to their beta blocker status at hospital discharge. 
And looking at our results, so overall did find clinical benefits from empagliflozin and enalapril in the impulse and consensus trials, respectively. The Pioneer and Athena trials looked at reductions in NT pro BNP, and they did find a significant reduction for sacubitril valsartan compared to enalapril, but did not find a significant difference for our high dose spironolactone. And then in the optimized HF trial, they did find that in hospital beta blocker initiation lowered 60 day mortality as well as combined death and rehospitalization. And they also compared patients who were had their beta blocker discontinued compared to those who had it continued during hospitalization and did find higher mortality rates for patients who had their beta blocker discontinued during hospitalization. And then looking at our safety outcomes overall had similar rates of adverse drug events in our GDMT groups when look, comparing to their comparator group. So overall, these studies just go to show that initiating GDMT while patients are hospitalized is safe and has even shown clinical benefits in some trials. And then next, we'll look at some observational trials looking at GDMT targets for patients at hospital discharge. Starting off with the retrospective analysis by Carubelli and colleagues looking at patients hospitalized for acute heart failure in Italy, and they compared at discharge whether patients were on no ACE inhibitor, ARB, beta blocker, or it was at less than 50% of target dose, whether they were on either ACE inhibitor, ARB, or beta blocker at 50% of target dose or higher, or whether they were on both at 50% of target dose or higher. And they did find that for patients receiving at least one drug at 50% of target dose or higher, had significantly lower all-cause mortality and heart failure rehospitalization. Then moving on to our post-hoc analysis by Yamaguchi and colleagues uh, for patients hospitalized with acute heart failure in Japan. And they found they compared at discharge whether patients were on both ACE inhibitor, ARB, and beta blocker, either or neither. And they did find significantly lower mortality, but not heart failure readmission rate in the either and both groups. So a little bit of difference from our first retrospective analyses that we discussed, which did find a significant difference on readmission as well. And then finally, our propensity score matched analysis by Guyette and colleagues. They compared for patients hospitalized with acute heart failure, whether at discharge they were on a beta blocker, RAS inhibitor, MRA, or not. And they found that patients receiving beta blocker or RAS inhibitor at discharge was associated with reduced mortality, uh, but MRA use was not. And they found the greatest benefit from a combination of beta blocker and RAS inhibitor. Overall, these observational trials just go to show that having GDMT on at hospital discharge improves clinical outcomes, especially when there's more than one agent or one of those agents is at 50% of target dose or more. Now, moving on to what our guidelines recommend for managing GDMT during hospitalization. So both the American and European guidelines recommend that GDMT should not be discontinued unless the patient has symptomatic hypotension, severely impaired renal function, or hyperkalemia. And then if that GDMT does need to be discontinued, it should be reinitiated as soon as possible. And then any pre-existing GDMT should be continued and optimized unless there is a contraindication for that. And if we need to initiate any new GDMT during hospitalization, that should be done so after clinical stability is achieved. So that brings us on to our second assessment question. 
which of the following GDMT goals should be achieved prior to hospital discharge? A, discontinue GDMT during hospitalization and reinitiate within two weeks post-discharge. B, continue GDMT that was already started prior to admission, but do not initiate new medications until after discharge. C, continue or initiate GDMT with the goal of achieving at least 50% of target dose for one or more agents, or D, titrate all GDMT to goal doses prior to discharge. All right, I would agree with the majority here that C is correct. Uh, both our American and European guidelines recommend that we can continue or initiate as well as optimize our GDMT during hospitalization. And then one of our retrospective studies did find a benefit of having at least one GDMT agent at 50% of target dose or more. A is not correct. Um, all GDMT should not be discontinued unless the patient experience is some contraindication for continuing it. And then B is not correct. We can both continue as well as initiate new medication classes during hospitalization, according to our guidelines, as well as those randomized controlled trials that we discussed did find safety as well as some clinical benefits for initiating new GDMT during hospitalization. And then D is not correct, although it would be ideal to titrate all GDMT to gold doses before discharge while we can monitor patients closely. That would significantly extend our hospitalization, so thus would not be feasible. So the next question that we will address is whether there is a preferred order for medication initiation. And in order to assess this, we will look at the CIBIS-3 trial, which was a multi-center prospective randomized open-label trial for patients above the at least 65 years of age with mild to moderate heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and they could not have been receiving ACE inhibitor beta blocker or ARB, and they were currently clinically stable, which in this study they defined as not having any clinically relevant fluid retention or having their diuretic titrated in the past seven days. And then patients were randomized to either receive bisoprolol first and then an allopril added six months later, or enalapril first and then bisoprolol added six months later. And their primary outcome was all-cause mortality or hospitalization. And they did find that bisoprolol first treatment was not inferior to enalapril first treatment when looking at our intention to treat sample, but not in the per-protocol sample. And that discrepancy is likely because they had numerous protocol violations that led to 15.9% of patients having some data excluded from the per-protocol sample. And then overall, looking at our safety outcomes, they found similar rates of adverse events in both groups. So some major limitations of this study, it only included patients 65 years of age or older, which may limit generalizability to our younger patients, as well as they only included those currently clinically stable patients. So might, again, limit some generalizability to patients who maybe recently had their diarrhea. And then finally, I think having the monotherapy phase last for six months is a major limitation of this study. But overall, I think it adds to the evidence that the order of GDMT titration does not matter and it should depend on patient-specific factors. And then the next two questions that we will address is whether we should target a dose of one medication prior to starting the next medication class, and then whether it's safe to initiate and titrate multiple medications at once. And to assess this, we will look at the strong HF trial, which its objective was to assess the efficacy and safety 
of rapid up titration of GDMT before hospital discharge and in the following weeks after hospitalization for acute heart failure. And this was a multinational trial that occurred across 87 different hospitals in 14 different countries in South America, Europe, Russia, and Africa. It was open label and patients were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive high intensity care or usual care. And they were stratified based on their ejection fraction of less than 40% or greater than 40% as well as country. And patients were included in the trial if they were age 18 to 85, had been admitted to the hospital within 72 hours for acute heart failure, which they defined as having uh, edema, pulmonary rails on oscillation, uh, pulmonary congestion on chest x-ray. And then they had to have been hemodynamically stable, have an elevated NT pro-BNP, concentration at screening of greater than 2,500 picograms per milliliter, as well as a 10% decrease in concentrations before screening and after randomization. And then they also could not have been treated with optimal heart failure treatment within two days prior to discharge. And they had numerous exclusion criteria, so I'll just highlight some of the main ones. Um, patients were excluded if they were intolerant to high doses of GDMT, had been on mechanical ventilation, had some other significant pulmonary disease that could be contributing to their shortness of breath, such as an FEV1 less than one on chronic steroids or right-sided heart failure that was caused by recurrent PEs or primary pulmonary hypertension. And then they were excluded also if their acute heart failure was triggered by some correctable etiology they had more severe heart failure and were on the transplant list or using an LVAD. They were expected to have extended hospital stay or had poor renal function. So again, patients were randomized to either the usual care group or high intensity care group. And the high intensity care group patients had their study therapy of beta blockers, MRAs, and RAS inhibitors uh, initiated and titrated to 15% of optimal dose within two days prior to discharge. And then the study therapy was titrated at full optimal doses within two weeks after randomization. And these full optimal doses were similar to our guidelines with the exception of carvedilol. The goal dose in this study was 50 milligrams twice a day, which in our guidelines can be between 25 and 50 milligrams twice a day. And then patients had safety assessments performed at one, two, three, and six weeks post-randomization, as well as additionally after any, one week after any titration for patients who might have had to have their titration schedule delayed. And these safety assessments included a physical exam, as well as lab monitoring of NT pro-BNP, uh, renal function, sodium, potassium, glucose, and hemoglobin. And this is compared to our usual care group had normal follow-up and therapy adjustments for their physician's usual practice anytime in those first 90 days after randomization. And then at 90 days from randomization, both groups had follow-up assessment for any adverse drug events, as well as for hospitalizations. And then at 180 days from randomizations, patients were called via the phone and assessed for which heart failure treatments they were currently on, as well as for any hospitalizations.
The primary outcome in this trial was 180-day heart failure readmission or all-cause death, and this was amended from the original primary outcome of 90-day heart failure readmission and all-cause death, which is now a secondary outcome. And then they also assessed change in quality of life from baseline to day 90 using the EQ5D visual analog scale that allowed patients to rank their health today on five different dimensions. And then they also assessed 180-day all-cause death, as well as the incidence of treatment emergent adverse events. And both our efficacy and safety outcomes were assessed using intention to treat. And they originally calculated that they needed 900 patients to achieve 89% power, but then that was amended to needing 1,800 patients to achieve 89% power to be able to detect a difference in our primary outcome. So looking at our baseline characteristics, from May of 2018 to September of 2022, 1,078 patients were randomized to either be a high-intensity care group or a usual care group. And there were fewer than 1,800 patients included uh, because of a recommendation from the Independent Data Safety and Monitoring Board, which recommended that due, due to a greater benefit in the high-intensity care group, it would be unethical to continue the study. Overall, our two groups were similar at baseline. A majority of the patients in this study were male and Caucasian. Most of our patients at 65% came from Russia, followed by 22% from Africa. And then as you can see, majority of patients were NYHA class three, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and a quarter of patients were hospitalized for heart failure in the past year. And then at baseline, overall, our GDMT usage was similar between both groups. And I did want to highlight the high use of MRAs in this study at around 95%, which is a lot higher than what I've seen in clinical practice. And then looking at the proportion of patients who, who did achieve their full optimal dose of GDMT, the proportion of patients who did achieve this uh, full optimal dose was higher in our high-intensity care group. However, still only 40 to about 60% of patients achieved their full optimal dose of beta blocker, as well as RAS inhibitor, and the study did not tease out whether patients were on ACE inhibitor, ARB, or RD, uh, just overall that class of medications. However, we did have high rates, again, of patients who achieved that full optimal dose of MRA, which in this study was typically spironolactone, 25 milligrams daily. And then looking at our results, overall, we did find a significant reduction in all-cause death or heart failure readmission by day 180. And this was likely driven by the heart failure readmissions because, as you can see, we did not find a significant difference for all-cause death by day 180. There's also a significant improvement in quality of life from baseline for our high-intensity care group but again, did not find a significant difference for all-cause death or heart failure readmission by day 90. And looking at our safety outcomes, so we did have higher rates of adverse events in our high-intensity care group compared to usual care, but did have similar rates of serious adverse events at 16% versus 17%. Also had higher rates of hypotension, hyperkalemia, renal impairment, and bradycardia. In our high-intensity group, as well as significant changes in blood pressure, potassium, and heart rate from baseline to day 90 in our high-intensity care group. But overall, these changes in blood pressure, potassium, and heart rate were a lot smaller than what I would have anticipated to see 
when initiating and up-titrating three different classes of medications at once. Their rates of hypotension, hyperkalemia, renal impairment, and bradycardia were also a lot lower than some of our other landmark trials. For example, in the Paradigm HF trial, the rates of hypotension when comparing sacubitril valsartan to enalapril were 14.9% in the sacubitril valsartan group compared to 9.2% in the enalapril group, which is significantly higher than what we see for the hypotension rates in this study. So that just brings into question whether patients were actually on their treatment. So moving on to our strengths and limitations of the strong HF trial. So it was our first retro randomized prospective trial to assess rapid GDMT titration. They also had similar rates of GDMT utilization in our usual care group as real-world databases, with the exception of the high rates of MRA use in this study. And then they did include patients across the ejection fraction spectrum, which increases our generalizability to multiple types of heart failure patients. And then some limitations, it was unblinded, which might have impacted some of our subjective outcomes like quality of life. The study was underpowered due to stopping early, which could have impacted some of our secondary outcomes and not being able to find a significant difference there. And then it's also unclear if the effect on patient outcomes was due to early follow-up or the GDMT titration, uh, because our usual care group had on average one patient visit in the first 90 days, compared to 4.8 visits in our high-intensity care group. And as we mentioned earlier, some retrospective studies did find benefit of that early follow-up. And then as I just discussed, we did have lower than expected treatment effects on our blood pressure, heart rate, and potassium levels, which brings into question whether patients were on treatment or adherent to it uh, because they did not perform any adherence assessments in this study. And find SGLT2 inhibitors were not approved for heart failure at the time of this study, so they were not included. And then COVID-19 did occur during this study, which could have impacted some of our outcomes on hospitalization and mortality. However, when excluding our COVID-19 related events, they did find similar impacts on our primary outcome. And then the United States was not included in this study, which may just limit some generalizability to our patients. So in conclusion, the strong HF trial did find that rapid titration of heart failure GDMT during and after hospital discharge is safe and efficacious in reducing heart failure or readmission or all-cause death, as well as improving patients' quality of life. However, I think I would like to see more studies similar to strong HF prior to implementing this, just because of the limitations that I mentioned as far as our safety outcomes. Other important considerations when implementing this into practice is that rapid initiation and uptitration of GDMT does require that frequent follow-up and monitoring for safety, as was done in this trial, in order to have similar safety outcomes. And the feasibility of this frequent follow-up in clinical practice might be limited. Um, it might be hard for patients to get in to see their cardiologist that early after discharge and that frequently but patients could potentially follow up with like an advanced practice practitioner or pharmacist or their primary care provider. However, non-cardiology trained specialists might not feel as comfortable with this rapid initiation of titration. So finally, we will address the, our three remaining questions with what our guidelines say about implementing GDMT at transitions of care. 
First of all, our American guidelines do recommend that GDMT could be started simultaneously at low doses or sequentially. And if we decide to do it sequentially, that should be order should be guided by clinical or other factors. And we don't need to achieve the target dose of one medication prior to initiating the next. And then our European guidelines do not provide a specific timeline for titration, but they do recommend more frequent monitoring for patients undergoing up titration of their GDMT. And then in 2021, prior to our more recent 2022 guidelines, the American College of Cardiology did create an expert decision pathway for how to best optimize heart failure treatment. And I think it's nice because it provides that recommended follow-up timeline. So I'll discuss that today. Starting off with after our initial studies make that diagnosis of heart failure, we can move on to the intensification phase, which starts off with an assessment of history and symptoms, vitals, a physical exam, either in person or over the phone, as well as labs. And then if their current volume status requires treatment, can adjust their diuretic and follow up in one to two weeks. But if they're euvolemic and stable, can adjust GDMT, follow up in one to two weeks um, in clinic or over the phone again and with the BMP as indicated. So really this intensification phase should just repeat about every two weeks with our adjustment of therapies. And the ACC expert decision pathway does have a recommended order for titration that's a little bit different than our uh, 2022 guidelines. So they do recommend starting off with the RAS inhibitor and evidence-based beta blocker initially, and then adding on an MRA or SGLT2 inhibitor if they meet criteria for renal function and potassium. And then diuretics can be added throughout this cycle as needed. And then finally, our goal would be to achieve optimal GDMT within three to six months of their initial heart failure diagnosis, kind of moving on to the stabilization phase with ongoing assessment and additional adjustments to treatment as needed. For example, adding on hydralazine isosorbide or ivadrabine for a more refractory patients or referring them to a heart failure specialist. And then next we'll review some proposed GDMT titration schedules that are not from guidelines and have not been studied in clinical trials. This proposed schedule by Cox and colleagues does recommend initiating all of our GDMT agents during hospitalization, but they do state that this order of initiation should be individualized to patient scenarios. So for example, if a patient has low blood pressure, we can start off by adding an MRA or SGLT2 inhibitor because those will have the least impact on blood pressure. And then they recommend following up at outpatient clinic visits to continuing to up-titrate our beta blockers and RAS inhibitors. So limitation of this proposed schedule, they don't provide the recommended follow-up timeline for these outpatient clinic visits or that safety monitoring. Our next proposed GDMT titration schedule just looks at a different order for initiating GDMT. So they recommend starting off with a beta blocker and SGLT2 inhibitor, then one to two weeks later adding on an ARNI, then one to two weeks after that an MRA, followed by up titration to gold doses. So a benefit of this titration schedule is that all patients achieve all of the GDMT agents within four weeks. However, again, they don't provide their recommended safety monitoring, as well as this schedule was proposed for more clinically stable patients and hasn't been studied in clinical trials either. And then our final proposed GDMT titration schedule recommends initiating at low doses all of our GDMT agents on day one, and then one to two weeks later, up titrating our beta blockers 
and then continuing with up titration of our other agents as tolerated. And then after six weeks can consider adding on any medications or advanced therapies for our more refractory patients. So again, this proposed schedule does not provide our recommended safety follow-up, might be more applicable to our clinically stable patients that this was proposed for, and it again hasn't been studied in clinical trials. So finally, our answers to our four questions regarding how to best implement GDMT at transitions of care. So first, the in-hospital initiation of GDMT is safe and has even been shown to reduce mortality and rehospitalization. The preferred order of our GDMT initiation should be based on patient-specific factors such as blood pressure, renal function, as well as cost of our GDMT agents. And then we do not need to titrate each GDMT class to gold dose prior to starting the next medication class. In fact, it might be more beneficial to start all of our GDMT agents at low dose and then titrate them up later. And then finally, based on the results of the strong AHF trial, it does appear to be safe to initiate multiple GDMT agents at once during hospitalization and then titrate post-discharge, but only if that strict safety monitoring is in place. That brings us to our third assessment question. We have EH, a 68-year-old male who was hospitalized with acute heart failure. He presented to the ED with shortness of breath, with dailies of acti daily activities of living, lower extremity edema, and a 10-pound weight gain from baseline. Since his admission four days ago, he was given furosemide IV and is now two pounds above his baseline weight. His prior-to-admission GDMT includes carvedilol, 12.5 milligrams twice a day, and losartan, 50 milligrams daily. And both of these agents have been continued during hospitalization. His most recent pertinent vitals and lab values are shown below, so I'll give you a second to review those. So based on the methods and results of the strong HF trial, do you think EH would be a good candidate to have his RAS inhibitor beta blocker and MRA initiated and up titrated to 50% of gold dose prior to discharge and then increased to gold dose within two weeks after hospitalization? So you can kind of place your pin where you would best rank EH's candidacy for this protocol. I think I would agree with the majority here, kind of leaning more towards him being a great candidate. Um, as long as he can follow up with those recommended safety monitoring. Um, overall, he EH is similar to our patients that were included in the strong HF trial. Um, he's 68 years of age, and our average age in the study was 63. He had NYHA class 3 heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Um, his NT pro BMP did meet criteria for inclusion. And he his Current renal function, potassium, sodium, and baseline labs were all within normal limits. And then he also had his, his heart rate and blood pressure currently do allow for additional up titration. And then he's already on carvedilol 12.5 milligrams twice a day, which according to our guidelines is already 50% of target dose. And then he's on low certain 50 milligrams daily, which is already a third of our target dose of 150 milligrams daily. So we really just need to up titrate that low certain a little bit and add on an MRA to get him to 50% of target dose prior to discharge. So overall, I think he would be a good candidate for this protocol, um, as long as he can follow up with that recommended safety monitoring and those follow-up labs are within normal limits.
So in summary, heart failure transitions of care programs should include a clear plan for transitional care, as well as nurse home visits and multidisciplinary heart failure management for our more high-risk patients. Early follow-up did not find a benefit in our randomized control trials, but it is still recommended by our guidelines. And then GDMT should be initiated as well as continued and optimized during hospitalization. And then after discharge, GDMT titration should occur every two weeks with the goal of achieving our optimal dose within three to six months of our initial diagnosis. And finally, the Strong HF trial demonstrates that starting off strong with rapid up titration of heart failure GDMT is safe and efficacious in reducing heart failure readmissions or all-cause deaths. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics. Thank you.